Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 115, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Bus routes try to go high-tech, and it turns into a disaster for one school district, and an economist makes the case for summer vacation. Stay with us. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, just like doctors, residency programs for education majors are a growing trend. We're talking to a gentleman that's in charge of piloting one for his university. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by the hardest working principal I know, Christina Pollard. Christina Welcome to Class Dismissed. Thank you so much. Very happy to be here. I should say welcome back to Class Dismissed. You were actually on an episode for us a little over a year ago. Um, and if anybody wants to go listen to that, you are in our Bright Idea segment. That was episode 59. We are now in episode 115. Wow. And you are co-hosting with us today. So um, we are very excited to have you. Um, anybody who maybe missed that episode or just isn't paying attention or doesn't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm a principal in the local area. I'm principal at Earl Trevelyan Attendance Center, which is in Forest County School District. I absolutely love the location that I'm assigned to. Um, I took over a failing high poverty school about four years ago, and we have completely transformed the culture and climate in our school. We're still working on student achievement, but it's the greatest reward, I have to tell you. I can't imagine. And I know that's if you want to go listen to that episode, episode 59, it's a lot of some of the things that you guys were doing over there. But how long have you been in education in general? Oh, wow. This is my 23rd year. Wow. And so where'd you start? In the classroom? I started in the classroom. I taught biology, chemistry, physical science in Dallas, Texas, and met the love of my life that brought me to Mississippi. And I um, continued my career here in several local school districts. We actually have a lot of listeners in Texas, so this is good to have a native Texan. Like, that's home for you? It is not. Uh, Home is San Diego, California. Okay, wow. Well, we also have a lot of listeners in California. Well, that's that's awesome. I came to Mississippi on a golf scholarship. Oh, I, I did not know that about you. Yep. So you still play? I I rarely have time. Yeah. Do you <laughs> I, think you could still do well if you like hit the course tomorrow? Yes. You, you still got it? Yeah, I think so. That's um, good. My husband would like to compete against me, but I've been holding off on that. <laughs> so so why um, did you decide to get into the administrative side of things? And any regrets? Are you happy where you are? I am very happy where I am. I, I think I get to make a greater impact because I'm working with students, teachers, parents, and the community. How I landed in administration is really a funny story. I loved teaching. I absolutely loved my classroom. And I was home on maternity leave with my youngest son and a teacher leader position um, came available. And my principal at the time was Joanne Wynn at Innerberger Middle School. And she presented that position to me and offered it to me. And my response was, no, I I love teaching. But she saw something in me 
And so I went ahead, I came out of the classroom and I started working closely with her and her administrative team. And it just opened my eyes to a whole nother segment um, in education. And then I went to pursue my advanced degree. Well, we are really excited to have you here. We're going to be loving your perspective um, on everything we talk about. Our segment that we normally jump into right now is called the Teacher's Lounge, um, which I'm sure if you listened before, um, you know, that's where we're talking about new segments or new stories rather yes. um, from around the country. So do you guys even have a Teacher's Lounge? I'm still trying to figure out if anybody has one. That's or... funny. We do not. We have a data room that has a lounge area. So that's like your secret hiding spot? Yes. So they can get a Coke, a candy bar, and at the same time, we collaborate and plan. Bring us into the teacher's lounge. Tell us what you know about (laughs) going on around the country. I think you've got a pretty interesting story today. Well, I tell you, this is the start of the school year, and there's a lot of planning that goes on in the summer for administrators and teachers. But today, I ran across a very interesting story about a transportation foul up. (laughs) Oh, wow. and this is that time of year where something like that could happen, I imagine. Uh, yes, it can happen all any time during the school year, but specifically the start of the school year is really critical. You have new students, you have five-year-old kindergarten students who have never been on a bus before, um, and it's just a crazy time because there are many people who don't respect the slow speed limit during the bus zone. And so it's just, it's very hectic for everyone. But I ran across a story today, Nick, that's really unbelievable. Tell me about it. There's a school district in Florida that could not track their students to and from school. They completely lost them off the grid. Like, no, like they never made it home. Basically, they left the school. They didn't pick them up and they didn't drop them off to nearly 6 p.m. in the evening. There was absolutely no idea or clue as to why the buses were not running on schedule. Okay, so was this a human error or technology error, all of the above? I'm going to say it was both, but as a principal who is responsible for every end of a building that includes transportation, this was definitely human error. Someone did not cross their T's and dot their I's before the first day of school. So so what exactly happened here? How did this all get out of whack? There was one parent who was really concerned about her young children who had some special needs. And so she knew exactly what time they were to be picked up and they weren't picked up on time. And she thought, okay, maybe we're just a little behind. So she drops them off at school. School dismisses at two fifty. Mm-hmm. Four o'clock comes around and her two babies are not home. And she definitely went into panic mode. And she and her entire family, they had a strategy. They reached out via phone. No one was answering the phones. So she went to the school and no one could give her answers. And it turns out that there were many other parents as well, very concerned, which is why the phones were ringing off the hook. And not an administrator in the building could address her and explain to her where her young children were. So so were they using some new software here or is that... Well, you'll find that school districts all across the country use different pieces of software, whether it's just to track the location of a bus or to determine arrival and dismissals. This particular software was going to actually tell them the movement of every child in their district while it was happening. While it was happening, they would know every time a child came on a bus, every time a child stepped off the bus. But on this particular day, the entire software program was deleted. Like just basically something on the server that was tracking all these kids. I'm telling you, and no one noticed it before the first day of school. You know, we have Russ on this show sometimes who is the the CEO of School Status, and I'm sure it would be a nightmare for him to like think that maybe one of his employees might accidentally delete, you know, crucial Mm -hmm. files 
that could, you know, and they don't do bus tracking, but that could get a child home. Um, from what I understand, the superintendent was, I mean, actually like tearful in a press conference about this. Is that right? Yes, very much so. And I think that it was a heartfelt message that he delivered to parents, but I still don't think that that was excusable. The first thing that is supposed to happen before school even starts is that every director of a department and every principal is going to go through all of the things on their checklist. Mm-hmm. Are we ready to serve children meals in the cafeteria where the meals delivered? Do we have our bus fleet? Is it ready to go? Do we have all of our drivers? What are the routes? Do the drivers understand their routes? And on this particular incident, there was a glitch before school even started. So they knew there was a problem. Oh, yes. They knew there was a problem. They thought about checking the backup server, but no one did. And so this is where I really would fault them. So, all right, so you have this system that's supposed to track the kids. You recognize there's a problem. But, but why the not ball just, is dropped. But why not go back to the old system, the, the system that we used when you and I were kids, like to, to get home? I mean, why, why still rely on a system that apparently wasn't working? And, and I just don't see how things got so out of whack there. There's two things missing here. One, you should always have standard operating procedures in a school district. That's number one. And then number two, there should be a system of checks and balances. And if if you research this article, you'll find out that the transportation director was dismissed from his position. But I think this goes further than transportation. Right. Because there should be a question about a safety director and there should be a question about the superintendent. Did they have a run through before school started? Did they check the system and actually, you know pretend to run routes to see if children were on and off the buses before the first day. And on the first, on the day before they knew that it was not working, they debated whether they should delay school a day or not. And they didn't. And they did not. And I don't think it needed to be delayed, but there is a very simple way. Do a call out, do a media press release, mm-hmm. um, you know, send letters home, do whatever you have to do to notify parents that we're going to follow the old transportation procedure, right. even if you just do it for the first week right. to give everyone an opportunity to get ready. As a principal, is the I know this may sound like we, we worry about academics, I would assume, but just getting students to and from school, is that something that keeps you up at night? I mean, it does. And this is funny to you, but I always tell my teachers on the first day of school, especially when you have new staff and they're a little nervous teachers fresh out of school. Let me tell you, on the first day of school, we have three or four important tasks. We get them to school. We feed them breakfast. We feed them lunch. We get them home safely. Where exactly was the school? Leon County Schools uh, in South Florida, specifically the parent that complained was at Astoria Park Elementary School. But as we heard in the superintendent's press release, it really was a failure across the district. And so the software company, I guess they... They lost the contract, I assume. I mean, they are still in talks right now about how to move forward. But you're talking seven hundred thousand dollars. I would want my contract null and void. Yeah, no doubt. And you think you you could do that. All right. Well, I've got one for you. Um, This is related to uh, summer. Right. So are you a proponent of summer break? Or you, would you like to see us go all year long with like little breaks throughout the year? Have you ever heard of you know districts doing that? Now we shared. I shared earlier that I'm from San Diego, California, mm-hmm. and where I'm from, year-round school has been around for a long okay. time. And so my nieces and nephews go to school. I think for six to nine weeks, and they have three weeks off. Um, I suspect many years ago that was a shocker when it was first implemented, but I find many people in California really like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to a principal, we only get about two or three weeks off in the summer as well. 
well. But having that time, I think, would be huge for teachers when it comes to planning. Um, When you think about the... Which time? The time if The time the students are at home. But are you talking about the if you were doing it on the full year with the little breaks? Mm Mm-hmm, with the little breaks. Um, I I think it would be healthy for everybody involved. It might be a concern for those career and working parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those students who um, can get overwhelmed, who have some social emotional issues, I think it would be beneficial to them. But in an area like mine, my school is 100% poverty. Um, those meals are critical for right. my students. And so um, in areas like that, you would have to have a backup plan or some other programs in place to make sure those children are getting nutritious meals. During those little During those breaks. short breaks. Yeah, so there's a, an economist. Typically economists, um, from what I've read, are all against the idea of like a summer break. They are like, you've got these facilities that are just sitting there. They're not being used. There's a waste of money. Kids are doing the summer, having the summer slide. So they, there's been a lot of economists who have come out and said, you know, let's let's go all year long like they do in San Diego. Well, here we go again with people who are not certified <laughs> educators, right. who are not in the trenches with us, and you know, enforcing their opinions on us. Right. You're right, and and that is okay. I that's I appreciate your perspective, and I'm glad you're here to uh, keep me in check on that. Uh, there is an economist named William Fischel. He's a Dartmouth economist who actually retired this year, and he's been researching the idea of summer vacation for a long time, and he's. Uh, proponent for keeping it, which he kind of is against the grain with a lot of economists. You're kind of like, I don't care what economists have to say. They're not educators. I see you nodding your head. Because there's there's a lot of, you know, issues to consider. Like we talked about high poverty areas and these children having a safe haven consistently throughout Mm -hmm. the school year. Um, And once they're in a structure and in a routine and have regular meals, that's really important to them. But then you have areas where those parents can accommodate a situation like that, and it would be beneficial for students to go year-round. So I, I think you have to consider the location and your resources. This economist, he's saying that um, the actual break doesn't have anything to do with agriculture from the research he's done. He says it actually goes back to urban areas. And he says um, back around the turn of the century when people were working factory jobs, the factories knew that these workers would like bounce from factory to factory about every year or so as like different ones opened and closed and they were giving a break naturally in the summertime when weather's a little better so the families could move that's according to his research which i've never heard anyone say that before i've never heard that before either. but you got to give a dartmouth economist you know some some cred if he's if he's looking it up so that was kind of a takeaway for me um but he's saying you know the summer break he's kind of going against the grain of his colleagues the summer break is something that um is a good thing and he says um you don't really lose a lot of dollars in the the summer as you know his colleagues would say um and he also argues that you could even have trouble and you would probably be able to answer this but when you have these little three-week breaks or whatever if you were doing it all year long teachers almost have to reset every time they come back so when you're doing just a summer break resetting once but you might be resetting three or four times and that's pretty accurate but the students have to reset too We talk about a summer slide and when we get back in August, it takes about two weeks to really get children back into a regular structured routine with, you know, them expecting um, what their teacher will do and how the day will go. Um, We find even on Mondays that we have children just those two days on the weekend that we have to help get back into the routine. So if you take them uh, out of school for three weeks, depending on the setting. Um, If that could be a negative impact. Here's my selfish perspective as a parent. I would like to be more on the San Diego model because I get tired of being forced to vacation when it's 115 degrees outside, you know, and I want to I want to vacation 
in the winter. Well, isn't it cheaper to go to Disney World in the fall? I imagine that would adjust, but but you're right. Yeah, I mean, I would like to be able to run in October, like down here in the South. October might be the most beautiful month of the year. And usually you get like a little short fall break in there, but usually you don't have much time to to go on a big vacation with your family. I agree. Something else you have to consider also would be high school athletics. That would that would need a major overhaul in order for that to work. That's a good point. All right, Christina, are you ready for the bright idea? Yes. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is the Dean of Education at William Carey University in Mississippi and a former K-12 principal and superintendent, Dr. Ben Burnett, is headed into a new challenge this fall over at William Carey University. He and his team are rolling out a new three-year Mississippi teacher residency program. Dr. Burnett, welcome to Class Dismissed. Uh, thank you so much. It's great to be here, Nick. I'm excited to have you, and I have so many questions about this teacher residency program. This is something that we've discussed on the show a lot. But first, am I simplifying it too much if I describe it as basically like a residency program that a doctor would go through? Uh, That is not an oversimplification. And and matter of fact, that's uh, how I've heard a lot of people explain this. And, you know, at William Carey, we also have a big uh, area in the medical field. Uh, William Carey has exploded in the last 10 years. We've doubled in enrollment from just a little over 2,000 to right at 5,000 total students. And a lot of that increase has been in the medical field. And so we have, uh, you know, medical school, physical therapy school, pharmacy school, and they're all out in our nursing program. They're all out in the field doing residencies. So doesn't it make sense that somebody taking care of our children would go out and do a residency within the school building uh, and to see what that's like? Um, And it has a lot of advantages but probably the biggest advantage it has is to prepares them for that first year. Uh, you're one of, I think, three universities That's in right. the state, and, right. and it's, you're piloting this through the Mississippi Department of Education. Uh, yeah, fund, it, funded by Kellogg Foundation. Okay, and and so so you're getting this funding. So I guess you had to present a plan before oh, yeah. they would reward <laughs> this to you. So you, you got to come up with like, all right, how am I going to do this? So when you were doing your research, did you say go to the the doc the medical school at William Carey University and say how do you do your program, or did you like model it after another state doing this with education? Uh, no, and we actually didn't go to. Uh, places like the uh, uh, medical school, and that probably is, in retrospect, that's a great idea. I wish I would have thought about that. (laughs) You're welcome. But, you know, we do, uh, uh, having students out in the classes in the field is not foreign to us because uh, students don't just student teach before they go out. Uh, Even literally in their first education class, their intro to education class, they have to do field placement in their uh, doing internships. So, we have students all along the way in those two years that are in the schools. It's just not in the schools all day, every day. Um, so we didn't uh, do research like that, but we, we did get very creative because we were having to offer. Uh, these people are not just in the schools for two years and then getting licensed. They're finishing their last two years of teacher education. What's your selling point to, say, the students that were selected for this? Did, or did you even really have to sell it, or did oh, they, were they lining up to do it? Uh, they were they lined up to do it, and a good thing for us, we didn't have to go through that selection process. Uh, the Department of Education made the selection, uh, and I believe they had, um, I think I heard the number around two to 300 applicants for this first group, mm-hmm. because the selling uh, point is... Um, they're pretty much going to be guaranteed a job in the school district where they're working. But uh, the bigger selling point is that they're not paying tuition. So the grant is covering the tuition wow. uh, for these yeah. two years. So, you know, uh, that and that will also help the longevity of the teachers, because when teachers get out and they have student loans, 
Right. You know, just to finish school. Uh, that's where the teacher salary comes into play because if you have a lot of outstanding student loans, it's difficult uh, to pay those back on a teacher salary. And the only way to really get a, a good raise in Mississippi uh, as, as an educator is to go back and get your master, your advanced degree, to get your master's degree, your specialist degree. And if you're already in student debt, uh, you know, that makes it almost uh, impossible to do. So it has not been a, a hard thing to sell. And this first group has obviously already selected and they had their first class meeting uh, this week. And uh, they'll start recruiting for next year pretty soon. But, you know, the two two school districts that the Department of Ed selected were Ocean Springs and Gulfport. Yeah. And for those, we have listeners all over the country. That's the coastal counties right. of Mississippi. Right. And uh, those two school districts, if anybody uh, looks them up, uh, will realize real quickly that they're very innovative and Mm -hmm. in good places to work. Right. Um, And so, uh, for the so the idea to go and have your tuition paid for by you by the by the grant, get the classwork from the universities, and to have your foot in the door on two school two good school districts. That's it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it is. Are you in? the William Carey University classroom for a couple of years, and then you switch over to the other classes? Well, they, they only let people apply who've already finished the first two years. Okay. So some of these— Get through um, that first. That's right. So some of these students did come through uh, William Carey University for their core classes. Some of them came through the community college system. Okay, yeah. Um, and some of them may have come from a, another university. So uh, we take them at that point, which makes it a little difficult at the beginning because not everybody coming through the same program— uh, some of them have core classes that they'll have to take, mm-hmm. you know, to get caught back up. Right. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty dicey for us to because every student will literally have a different set of classes that they have to um, uh, you know have to get caught up on uh, in order to graduate in two years. We also wrote in uh, our portion of the grant because this was a competitive grant mm-hmm. that we were applying for against other universities. We don't know which ones, uh, but so we felt like we had to be competitive and creative. And uh, we also have written in that they're going to get uh, some graduate level credit within oh, that's good. The, the time with us. Uh, so they'll have their foot in the door for the graduate work. And it's not just a two-year program. We follow them through a mentorship of their first year of teaching. Okay. So they finish their undergraduate program, get their teacher license in uh, elementary education and in special education. Okay, and That's one of the requirements that they would be dually uh, licensed. And then they'll have uh, some work done toward a graduate degree. And, you know, if they choose to stay, you know, with us at William Carey, then they can finish their master's degree. And uh, we do have, a, as you know, a, a coast campus in Biloxi, Mississippi, right there by these two school districts. Right. So uh, our tradition campus will, will be servicing uh, these students. So what's a typical day like for these teachers now that they're in the program? Do they just report straight to the school that they're assigned? They, they do. Uh, they have a, a mentor teacher in the school in the school district they're, they're assigned, and they'll have multiple. They're not just going to be in one classroom all of the time. They'll have, a, uh, you know, multiple experiences uh, in that school system. Uh, but then we have classes for us. Some will meet at our Biloxi campus, which is uh, real convenient to both of these school districts. Mm-hmm. But we're actually going to take our classes also to the campuses of the school districts and just teach them there where they don't have to come to our campus. And then some of the classes will be taught online. So they'll have a, uh, you said, what will a typical day? I don't know if any day 
Uh, right, know, and yeah. the week is going to be the same for them because, you know, their class schedule and each term that we start will be a little different as far as when they meet classes and how they meet those classes. I don't know if you've had a chance to drop in since you guys just got started, but I mean, are there just basically two teachers working in the classes, one teacher who's uh, been in school for two uh, years and then right. the veteran? And, and I haven't dropped in yet, but that will be that will be the model uh, that they use. And we also wrote in the grant to um, have a liaison uh, person over the grant. So we have a, a, a faculty member. Uh, who's going to work with both campuses and just be the um, uh, administer the grant, but they will also uh, report any problems and you know take take care of the students uh, and work with the students. And then the two school districts hired somebody to also work in that capacity. So uh, these these candidates have a lot of support. And that's great. And I think it's going to make a huge difference down the road. I guess my question is: this is being funded, like you said, by the Kellogg Foundation. That's it's right. helping pay for that tuition. Is this sustainable when that grant runs out in your mind? I mean, it seems like a program that, you know, teachers would want to go through right. and actually pay for it and do it this way. Is that right. kind of your, your goal set? Uh, we're hoping to be uh, uh, on the, the start of something big. You know, uh, with a teacher shortage like it is in Mississippi, uh, just like there's no one reason that there's a teacher shortage, there's no one answer to fixing the teacher shortage. Um and I think a teacher residency program to better prepare our students and to get their foot in the door will be a, a huge help, um, and uh, we'll have a we'll have better tr- uh, retention, even if we don't produce more teachers, which I hope we do. Uh, we'll have better retention, uh, and I tell you already with our focus on uh, recruiting students and. Uh, being so aggressive with our undergraduate program, uh, the last ten years at William Carey, which is mirrored by rest of the state and the nation. The the, the nation is down 35% right. in undergraduate uh, teacher education over the last decade. Uh, so our university is not an outlier. We're just, we're just one of the crowd that's uh, declined. And we've had a steady decline in the last 10 years from 2010 until now. And, uh, but this year we're very excited for the first year. Uh, we, we didn't just have a little bit of an increase. We have a 25% increase in our undergraduate uh, nope. teacher ed majors. That's yep. good. Do you, can you attribute that to anything? Or? Uh, well, a part of it is our teacher residency right. uh, 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 students because we have 12 of those. But the biggest thing I can attribute it to, and it kind of answers your other question about can we sustain this? Because, you know, grant programs are great while you have them. Mm-hmm. But then if the money leaves and everything, everybody packs their bags and it was a great program while you had it and all you got was this 90 or 100 teachers over three years that um, – are in the schools that wouldn't have been in the schools, but that's not a huge help. But one way we can sustain it is by a residency program with assistant teachers. Um, One of the biggest reasons that our undergraduate population has skyrocketed this year is because we have a 50% scholarship. If you're a current assistant teacher in a Mississippi school and you have your first two years of education out of the way uh, through community college or any other method, uh, then our university... uh, reduces your tuition by 50%. Wow, okay. To finish while you're still in the classroom as an assistant teacher. Wow. Uh, and so we, we are delivering these classes uh, by WebEx at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Right. And so... Makes for a long day, but well, it helps with tuition. It does make for a long day, for, but there is no easy way to finish. You know, in, right. in, uh, uh, on average, teacher assistants in the state make about 50% of what they would make if they were a certified teacher. Right. And so the earning potential... You know, it's worth going through two difficult years of classwork, right. family life, and your regular job 
uh, for their earning potential. And so I think that our teacher assistant program is sustainable. If we can get more funding, you know, our university right. has stepped out in front and said, we're going to reduce your tuition by 50%, which is a huge help right. uh, to these people. And, uh, and the way we're delivering the classes, because it's not just an online program where you're just at a computer. I mean, our classes are literally going to be live and uh, through a WebEx system with a teacher in the classroom, teaching the class and broadcast all over the state. I imagine it's being well received by the districts that are participating because they're also training absolutely teachers along the way and, well, and, and it's helping with their recruitment, I imagine. Absolutely. And the, the buzzwords, and it's not just buzzwords, but it's, it's got to be a frame of mind is to grow your own. Right. And uh, so they want to grow their own teachers within their district because if they have an assistant teacher who's getting that experience and knowing the, the school system, the procedures, the policies. Learning from the veterans. L- learning from a, a good teacher. Yeah. You know, it's like student teaching for two years. Uh, and they're there all day, every day. So uh, I, I think that's uh, one way that we can sustain the idea. Now, the funding for the uh, the tuition is something that we, you know, would be great if we can find other sources. Uh, if there are people out there listening that have a lot of money, they want to do- donate to William Carey University. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we, we would take it and uh, put it toward assistant teachers or undergraduate candidates because, one way we're helping to solve the teacher shortage is by having a huge alternate route to certification program. We have uh, most years have the largest alternate route program in the state. Right. We had 140 alternate route interns just last year alone. Uh, but alternate route teachers, while they do um, a, a very good job and we have a good program, they don't go through the undergraduate program and student teach and get all of the coursework behind them. So a better, we, we hope that we can better solve the teacher shortage by bringing people through the entire undergraduate program. If those who are listening closely um, at the introduction, I, I said that you know you're, you're the dean at a university now, but you also were a principal and you also right. were a school superintendent for several years. Right, yeah, seven, uh, 17. 17 years, <laughs> there you go. And so you are in a unique position. You have this perspective of what it's like for a teacher coming out of college right. and stepping into a classroom. Uh, absolutely. And I also have the perspective of it's a week before school and we don't have a position filled and what are we going to do? Right. You know, I, I think that's one thing that makes our university uh, not think. I know it's what makes us different. As I shared with you earlier before we went on air, that um, all of our faculty at William Carey University, uh, we're in the K-12 system first, 100% of them. Wow. And so we and we average about 27 years experience per faculty member in K-12 education in our university. So we know what that feeling is like. And so we can relate uh, to the districts and tell them that, you know, uh, we've been exactly where you are and we want to help you. And and, and we're uh, forming partnership after partnership with uh, local school districts uh, to uh, increase their alternate route teachers, but also work with them with their assistant teachers. Um, and uh, also hopefully uh, future doing some more residency programs. I'm going to ask you a tough question. Is it okay. possible <laughs> to prepare a student for the classroom by just going to school and not doing a program where you're actually immersed into the classroom for a few years? I mean, and I know it's happening all over the country all the time where you just kind of throw somebody in there. But I mean, do you really feel like those people are prepared even after the education. Well, let me answer that question with a story that you can relate to because you're a resident of this community and you mm-hmm. rem- you remember the the tornado of 2013. Yeah, I was on air covering okay. it. Yeah, I know it well. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, and I was superintendent of education at that time, and uh, and I live 
about four miles from the high school that was hit. Right. And you remember that well. And uh, I had heard that the press box of the high school was blown over. So I felt like I needed to go check on it. Right. They, nobody told me that the high school athletic complex and the school building took a direct hit from an F4 tornado. And when right. I rounded the corner and saw that it looked like literally somebody had just taken a chunk out of this whole building, my first thought was um, nobody prepared me for this. So, right. the, so, the, so the simple answer to your question is that there is not a way to prepare somebody for everything they're going to face um, because there's so many situations facing our teachers and our school leaders. And it's also changing. You right. know, teachers who have been in the education for 30 years are, I'm sure, experiencing new things, you know, like dealing with technology in the classroom. When I was first a middle school principal back in the 90s, uh, I was convinced that uh, no student of mine would ever have a cell phone in school. You know, that was, that, was a, yeah. that was a ridiculous thought to have. Right. And I, I quickly admitted defeat with that and realized that, hey, we better embrace this. And we better. And when I became superintendent, we changed the policy to be uh, more focused on uh, embracing it rather than just trying to get rid of it. You know, so technology has changed education. And so teachers who are even veterans every day are having to relearn. So that's a good uh, point. That's a good point. And for those that uh, aren't from around here, yeah, that tornado, uh, we could probably do a whole episode on what you went through after that. It was a, it was like you said, it was an EF4 tornado. It was actually classified that not far from the school. And then the rest of the track was EF3. And, but either way, I mean, it was a devastating tornado. It did lots of damage to your district, did damage to the university in town. Yeah. To the, to the public university across town. And of course, uh, as you know, uh, uh, two two or three years later, my current university, William Carey, was hit with an F3 tornado. Exactly. And yeah. uh, uh, 98% of our buildings, all but two buildings, uh, were impacted. And you guys have rebuilt since? We have rebuilt. Uh, we lost six buildings all the way down to the ground, and every building has been renovated, and we just opened up our last building. And I'd never really put two and two together. You know, okay, so I'm kind of going on a tangent here, mm-hmm. but I was at the – I was working at the TV station when – both of those tornadoes hit. And had I been thinking clearly, I would have said, well, let's go talk to you because you dealt with the one over at the, the high school and then you had to deal with the one over at the university. You had a unique perspective there. Well, I, I did. And I kind of whispered in a few people's ear at the university of, you know, I've done this before, but right. uh, in, in full disclosure, our, our university had uh, suffered through Katrina in 2005 right. because our Biloxi campus is now in a different place right. because the first Biloxi campus doesn't exist <laughs> Exactly. anymore. It was wiped out. So our university, I, I have never seen a recovery project like our university led through our facilities office and our administration and our architect. It, it was absolutely amazing. But if you'll go back even before that first tornado uh, that I dealt with as a superintendent and then Katrina in 2005, I tell people all the time that nobody else is going to hire me because everywhere I go, I bring about a, a massive destruction either through a hurricane well, or a tornado. So, so <laughs> I, I let's, let's look at it more with a silver lining, though. I'm going to have you back on the show, I think, to talk about dealing with a disaster. Uh, you well, know, and, and, and there is a whole different uh, uh, set of rules for administrators that you have to know that I learned on the fly. Yeah, you know, because I didn't know. Uh, all of that information and just had to had to muddle through it. So, I mean, from insurance to just all sorts of things that you don't think of, you know, yeah. like how do I how do I rebuild this building? What's what's paid for? And and, and we're going to have classes in three days. And, and it, at that high school, we we opened up classes that hit on a Sunday, and that was one of God's blessings that mm-hmm. it was on a Sunday when nobody was there. Uh, did, did you not have people in the gym? I think uh, we had. And they were okay. Uh, we had basketball practice going on, and yeah. we had uh, I think an annual staff meeting. 
going home, and everybody was okay through that. Yeah, and remarkably, like you said, that was an EF4 tornado cut through a major city. Mm-hmm. It was on, um, I think Mardi Gras was going on, so there were a lot of people. All the people at USM's campus were gone, but no one died in no. that storm. Right. And, and it's to this day, I mean, the Weather Channel has even done a special on it. Like, I don't think anybody understands how other than just the grace of God. Uh, it, 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 was, it was a huge storm, and you, I know you've seen all the aerial footage of that storm and, and the wide path. And the one that hit our uh, hit William Carey University two years ago uh, hit it on a, in the middle of a, the yeah. night at three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning, and a lot of our students were gone. But we had a big activity coming up the next day, and so campus was pretty full. Mm-hmm. My my own son was in the dorm mm. that night, and so you know we're up at three o'clock in the morning texting and talking with him. He had no clue, thankfully, of what was going on. He was in the the hallway of the dorm. And then once my wife and I arrived on campus about five that morning, we couldn't believe the devastation of what we saw. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we appreciate all that, that you've done, uh, both in, in that world and, of course, the, the one dealing with uh, this residency program. I would say that, you know, you're talking about not having the money. I would argue that if I'm a student and I was had an option of going to, you know, a university and getting a degree where you don't get to work with the school and one that you do, mm-hmm. I would pay for the one that you do, you right, know? And right. it just Well, well, well and, and that brings about a great point about uh, sustaining this program. Uh, do we just take all of our uh, future students and do them straight in the residency program for two years? Because we do have the flexibility and capability mm-hmm. uh, with our two campuses. We're close to, you know, about 30 school districts in, in this part of the state. And we can, uh, uh, you know, also have electronic communication after that. So, you know, a future maybe, uh, uh, maybe that we do that. We've actually signed an MOU. We've not officially announced it yet, but uh, our local school district where you reside uh, is working with us. And we have two students who will do exactly that. And they're going to finish their last uh, year as a resident in those two, in that school district. That's great. Uh, and the school district found some funding, uh, I think, through uh, private donations or a foundation to actually pay the students a little bit. And mm-hmm. they'll be finishing their uh, final year of their education while being a resident in that school district. So we're going to have we've actually got a couple of programs going uh, residency wise that we're going to test the waters. And, and I think the future uh, of college is certainly not going to be always tied to a brick and mortar building. You know, we, we see that now. Right. Uh, yeah, but you're I, probably right. I think the future of teacher education needs to be less inside our buildings and more inside of a school. Well, good stuff. Uh, again, we appreciate all you do. And uh, we definitely are going to want to follow up on this story down the road and see see how the program's going. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Burnett, are you ready for our pop quiz? Uh, it's been a while since I've taken one, but right. go, uh, hit me with your best shot. I, all right. I'm used to being on the hot seat. All right. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Well, since I'm a former high school band director, it should be banned. There you go. Um, (laughs) What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? How to balance a checkbook. What does every child deserve? Uh, An equal chance and love by every school employee. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Uh, To love, is the answer for the previous question, to love every child and meet the needs, rather, uh, of every child, because it's tough. What's the best gift to give an educator? Uh, hope uh, that they can, uh, and also help them realize what they're giving the children because, you know, it's not an instant gratification profession. Well, let me ask you, since we're going at a good clip here, have you ever had a, a past student come up to you 
and just like say, I thank you, you know, where you get that gratification uh, uh, and this sticks out in your mind. This morning, I talked to a young lady who I, I was her middle school and high school band director before I became a middle school principal. And uh, she is now about to roll in our specialist in education program. And she works for the Department of Defense and lives in Germany. Wow. And so I got to talk to one of my former students from 20 years ago. So the best thing about education uh, is the connections and the relationships you build with people, the faculty, the parents, the students over the years. And I try to tell students I'm recruiting that, but until you experience it, uh, you can't understand it. And I've had students uh, who will come up to me that I thought I just failed miserably with them, you know, constantly at odds, trying to help them, didn't think I could. Uh, and they'll come, and I've had many come back and say, uh, you made a difference. You made me realize what I needed to do, and I wouldn't be here without you. And I would have not uh, guessed that without, you know, those particular people 10, 15, 20 years ago. So it's a cool experience. And so let's ask the next question. Which teacher changed your life? Uh, well, it's not just one, because I had uh, about three or four core teachers when I was a student at Oak Grove High School uh, that um, that met that surrounded me and just made school better for me uh, and and if I wouldn't have had a good high school band experience I wouldn't I didn't choose education because I wanted to go into education I chose it because I wanted to teach high school band and here you are today and, that's a funny path uh, uh, oh and uh, I still joke my dad is 93 uh, he's a World War II veteran and just as sharp as attack still but uh, he and I two days ago were joking about the fact that when he took me to register for first grade in Tylertown Mississippi I was literally kicking and screaming. Yeah. Uh, did not want to go to school. And I said, yeah, Dad, uh, that was a long time ago. That was 1970. So here I am. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, still in school. So uh, you just don't know what a path a student can take. And I wouldn't have said in high school that this is the path I would want, but I would not choose any other path in the world. It's been a blessing. Which, I don't know if you can answer this, and this isn't on my script, but which which one of those jobs, the band director, the principal, the superintendent, the dean, was, I'm trying to, I don't want to say your favorite, but the most rewarding maybe? Is that a, is that a question you can answer? Well, and I have actually thought about that a bunch of times. You know, when you, you look back on something, you're sentimental, and you have maybe warmer thoughts about it than you did at the time right, <laughs> that yeah. you were in it. Um, and if I... Uh, had to say what was I the most energetic about and just crazy about it was probably high school band directing, but I was also 22 years old. Right. You know, I think right now, and it's not just because I'm doing this job right now, uh, all the jobs that I've gotten to do have prepared me to do what I'm doing now. And I feel like that with the team that I have at William Carey, which is an, I have the most awesome faculty in the world. And with that team, I feel like we're making a difference for education in Mississippi. Um, so I think I'm having the most fun uh, right now. That's good. Being a school superintendent uh, was probably the most. Uh, That's got to be stressful. Uh, it was the most stress I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah. Um, but I had to be very creative. You know, we had massive budget cuts. You'll remember during that time, we cut mm -hmm. our budget one year by $7 million. Right. Because, yeah, you were there in 2008, 2009. That's right. That's right. And I, uh, we did that without having to terminate any employee. Well. Wow. Uh, so that, you know, I felt. Uh, good about that uh, part, but being a middle school principal uh, was also just a, a great ride. Uh, you know, I had over a thousand middle school students every day, and I was just kind of hanging on for dear life. Yeah. Um, so, I, 
I can't answer that question. It was what, I <laughs> well, guess, you did. You did answer it. It was, that, it was whatever job I had at the moment right. uh, was my favorite. Well, and, and I'm going to make you stick to the last question. Can you give a shout-out to a teacher that really had an impact on you? Uh, one particular teacher. Oh, man, you're going to make me just say one. I mean, uh, you, can, you can say two, three if, if you've got a couple te- names uh, in mind. Of course, my high school band director, John Blakeney, who yeah. is still one of my best friends and uh, just a, a great guy. I had a biology teacher, Patsy Pouncey, and I was certainly no biology star. And she knew it, but she loved me, and uh, yeah. and uh, I had a great relationship. And I was not a good math and science student, but I had the best ever math and science teacher, uh, Connie Moore. And uh, she was a finalist uh, the year Krista McAuliffe w- was the teacher in space. You remember when the oh, spa- yeah. space shuttle exploded? The Challenger, yeah, and, and, 1983 uh-huh. or four, yeah. And, um, and uh, that, that teacher obviously uh, perished in that accident. My high school physics and uh, uh, algebra two teacher was the runner-up to that position. Wow. And so she would have... Uh, she got to do all the training and everything. Wow, that must have uh, been tough for her to, to yeah, watch. Uh, you know? I'm sure, and it was uh, just terrifying for us to know that our, because uh, I was in college at that time, and to know that our teacher that we love so much, because she took such a special interest in us and right. uh, had study parties and uh, so many other things that kind of uh, took the edge off of, because uh, I had no business being in physics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she helped me through it. All right, last question, pen or pencil? pen it's easy as that absolutely again dr burnett uh, we appreciate uh, all you're doing uh if you are want to catch up with them or learn more about their program you can check out uh their website um they're at william carey university and the website is wmcarey.edu correct uh, correct and uh even more information about that uh we're we are nuts on social media okay good uh we have facebook uh william carey university school of education Okay. Uh, we just hit over 5,000 followers today. Nice. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. And uh, we're pushing out stuff. You're really every- keeping up with it, huh? Oh, I, I post about 50% of what's going on. on That's good. In all my free time. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's uh, what I'm kind of surprised. That, I'm impressed. Uh, yeah. Well, again, we, we appreciate you taking the time to visit. And hopefully we can have you on again in the future. Right. Great. Thanks. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.